now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Artificial intelligence. You know anybody with that? A lot of people with that. I've got that a lot of times. You know, you talk like you know what you're talking about, but you really don't. I do that most Sundays. I'm kidding. Hopefully, I'm kidding. Um, probably you would differ on that. Um, but yeah, I've been kind of intrigued with artificial intelligence lately, and I've been fooling around with this thing called ChatGPT, asking it all kinds of questions to help me get through my day. Um, somebody actually sent me a news article about uh, a pastor in Germany that actually used a sermon that was that was produced by ChatGPT, and I think it had good results, actually. So I'm thinking about, you know, seeing if it'll help me. Um, but no, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't use it to write term papers, of course. But there are useful things about it. But, but I've been kind of getting into this artificial intelligence. You probably heard some about it. We talked about it a little bit last week, kind of gave more of an explanation. But I've been like feeding it some questions, just some theological questions, some general questions about life. And one of the questions that I fed it this week was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so um, it comes up with these various answers. And as you saw from the video that Luke created, that it, you know, kind of gives us a, a, kind of runs the gamut of a different group of religious beliefs, because this is a pretty important question. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, it's, if you truly believe that when, when you die, something happens after death, I would really like to know what happens after death. And I would like to know how I can make sure that I'm in the right place after I die. And so going to uh, artificial intelligence to ask that question, uh, it came up with all these various answers. And it started telling me what the Buddhists believe and what the Hindus believe. And um, somebody asked me one time, um, yeah, I won't tell that. Um, anyway, I asked about that and then, you know, different ones. And so you have all of these different things, but one thing they all had in common was that they are all very much about how you perform, how you live, how you pray, how you're baptized, the, the different things that you do as a person. And so I thought, you know, this question of what must I do to inherit eternal life is a pretty important question. And so if it's so, it's such a big question that I believe that we ought to go to the right place to answer this, because I don't believe that God would just be leave us up in the air on this. Because there's so many opinions, and with all the different opinions, where do we go for the truth? Because I believe that if this is such a big deal that we ought to know how to inherit eternal life, I don't believe that God would be a God that would just kind of say, I hope they figure it out. I hope that through all these different world religions and all these different denominations that have so many different opinions on this, I hope one day they figure out how they can live with me for all of eternity in a place called heaven because if they don't figure it out, I'm gonna send them to a place called hell. And so, all right, humans, go try to figure it out. I don't believe that that's the God that we serve, the God that we've just been singing about for the last 20 or 30 minutes. I believe that we serve and live for a God who is a living God who wants us to live forever, eternally with him. And so with all these opinions, we've got to go to the source. And so there's one guy that lived on this earth for about 33 or so years, and at the end of his life, he died a horrific death. He died a horrific death. He was beaten beyond recognition, and then he was put into a tomb. 
sealed with a large stone, and on the third day, he came back to life. And he appeared to all of his followers and to others. Many people began to be followers of his, and then he ascended into heaven. And he says he goes to prepare a place for us so that where he is, we can be with him also for all of eternity. Now, a guy that has lived and predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection and pulled it off, that's the guy I want to answer that question for me. Would you agree? I want to know what he says is the way to inherit eternal life. Not artificial intelligence, not what your priest told you, not what your last pastor told you, not what some Buddhist monk told you, no one like that. What does Jesus, the one who died, was buried, and rose again, and now lives in heaven for all of eternity, what did he say was the answer to this all-important question? And so in Luke chapter 18, the same chapter we was in last week, it's a good chapter. There's just so much richness in there. And he's this parable he told that we talked about last week and this conversation that he has that we're gonna look at today. Luke chapter 18, verse 18, here's what, how it goes. And a ruler asked him. Now, this ruler, this whole story, let me just tell you, appears in three of the four gospels. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's also, as we're gonna look at today, appears in the gospel of Luke. So it must have been a pretty important interaction that Jesus had with this ruler so that all of these gospel writers would say, hey, that's one we want to include. And they wrote under the inspiration of scripture their account of this encounter. Matthew calls him a young ruler. And we find out that he was rich. So this has kind of been traditionally called the story of the rich young ruler. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. So this young ruler, this rich young ruler, recognized in Jesus that he was a good teacher, that he was some sort of a rabbi that had some teaching that so many people were following. Now, the place that this takes place, or the time that this takes place, is in Jesus's final journey to Jerusalem, just before he's going to be arrested and he was gonna be crucified and resurrected. So he's in this final journey to Jerusalem. This is right before he gets to Jericho where he has an interaction with Zacchaeus. And so as he's going, this rich young ruler says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I'm sure all these people around were like, hey, that's a great question. And we would all like to know that. We know from the context that there were uh, Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there were other people around, his disciples were with him. There was other people in the crowd, and I'm sure that when this rich young ruler asked this question, no matter what his motivation was, other people perked up their ears and said, we want to know the answer to that question as well because this is important, and we've been looking for it for a long, long time. And so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? And he says, you, no one is good except God alone. So what Jesus is doing with this question is he is saying, you, young ruler, recognize something in me that makes you want to call me good, so you're putting me on the same plane as God? We know that there's none good but God, so why do you call me good? So what Jesus was doing in his, his really clever way of communicating, he was basically saying, I am God, and you're recognizing that I am God in the flesh. I am the Son of God here on the earth. So he asked him, he says, why do you call me good? 
If you recognize that I'm good, you must recognize also that I am the son of God. The thing that I've been claiming to be, the person I've been claiming to be for these third or for these last three and a half years or so. So he goes on with this conversation. He says, you know the commandments. He says, do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. So he starts listing off these things that this young ruler who was probably very well educated, a good little Jewish boy, he would have known these commandments. He says, so you know the commandments. You don't do these things. And he starts listing off these these neighborly type commandments. You know, the last six of the 10 commandments are all about how we treat one another. It's how we live our lives toward one another. So Jesus starts listing out five of those. He said, here they are. Here's some of the commandments. These are the, the ways that you live with one another. This is the way you conduct yourself. And what he was doing is he was kind of laying the foundation for what he was about to set him up to show him something. He was about to lay a foundation that, that many of us can get caught up in, and that is that we do outward things without a heart to follow Jesus. He said, I have kept all of these things from my youth. I have been a good Jewish boy. When it comes to living out the Ten Commandments, I've done a fantastic job. You can ask anybody. I'm not an adulterer. He says, I'm, you know, he goes through these. I'm not a, I'm not a thief. I don't murder anyone. Uh, I don't bear false witness, at least not on a regular basis. And I honor my father and my mother. So these things, I've done these since I was a little Jewish boy. I have just been a good follower of the rules. And many of us, we're good followers of the rules, right? You ask me to do something, I'm gonna do it. I know what I need to do as a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna do it. But there's a problem that many of us have. And it's the same one that this rich young ruler had. And Jesus said, there's one thing that you still lack. There is one area of your life that is still absent. You're deficient in this one area. There's something that you are missing. Even in all of your good works, there's something missing in your pursuit of eternal life. And Jesus was about to point it out to him. He had lacked something that mattered more than anything else to Jesus. All these outward actions that he was doing were fine and good. But Jesus recognized that there was something in him, and maybe this is that same thing lacking in many of us, that Jesus was about to point out. And the problem was, is his heart wasn't in it. His actions were there, but his heart wasn't in it. His heart was not in step with where his actions were. He did it, but he did it with the rotten attitude. And so when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, and here's what he, he lists three things. First thing he says is sell all that you have. Sell everything. Yeah, uh-oh, a big uh-oh. Jesus was pinpointing what was holding him back from being a devoted follower of Jesus. Outwardly, he looked good. Inwardly, he was lacking. That's what Jesus was saying. Inwardly, there's something lacking when it comes to being a follower. Are you inheriting eternal life. And what was going on with him is he had idolatry toward his stuff. His heart was more devoted to his things than he was to following Jesus and his pursuit of eternal life. Jesus often would, would tell his disciples, you've got to what? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, you can't be have one foot 
in, the, in your obligation to your wealth and the other one in your obligation to God and, and, and mask it in good works. So that's what he was doing. You know, Jesus was wanting his wholehearted worship. And so Jesus said, you've got to go out and you've got to sell everything that you have because the stuff you have is what's holding you back from being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. So sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. I don't want you to go sell it and then put it in your investments. I don't want you to go sell it and build up your 401k. I don't want you to sell it and go put it in savings. I don't want you to sell it and give it to your kids as an inheritance. I want you to sell it and distribute it to the poor. I want your goods to be leveraged for the kingdom of God. I want your wealth and your riches to be leveraged for the right thing. And that is what was holding him back. He said, I want your stuff and your heart to be on board with the kingdom agenda. And the kingdom agenda is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to be neighborly as an indicator that your heart is committed to your Lord and Savior. And so his wealth was what was holding him back. And I want you to use all of that and sell it. Now, the good thing about it is this is not the prescription for getting to heaven. God's not saying if you want to get to heaven, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. What he was saying is, I want to identify what's in your heart that is on a throne of your heart that keeps you from being a follower of Jesus Christ. What is it that holds the first place in your life? For him, it was his wealth. For you, it might be your family. For you, it might be your career. For you, it might be an addiction. For you, it might be, and you can fill in the blank with whatever it is that holds you back from being a devoted follower of Jesus. And as Jesus is having this conversation with this rich young ruler, he knew in his heart, he wanted to have eternal life. But as we'll find out, he wanted his riches more. Sell all that you have. And so what Jesus was saying is, he will not take second place to anything. Jesus is not going to settle for second place in any, for anything else in your life. So if you've got anything else that's more important than God, you better get on your face before him and ask for his forgiveness. And it can be anything. The first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning sometimes is the thing that is on the throne of our hearts. The thing that you, you, you put your most time and energy and emotion into, that is what's on the throne of your heart. When we begin to look at our finances, we can see what's on the throne of our heart because our money goes where our passions are. And Jesus recognized this in this rich young ruler, that he had money and wealth and his success on the throne of his heart. He had an artificial intelligence because he thought he had it all figured out by doing all the good works, but his heart was not there. And he had everybody else fooled, I'm sure. So he says, I want you to sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, then you will have treasure in heaven, we're gonna come back to that, and come and follow me. I want your life to be in pursuit of me. I don't want you to pursue your wealth. I don't want you to pursue your career. I don't want you to pursue happiness. I don't want you to pursue all of these other things. I want you to come and follow me, which is what he called all of his disciples to do, right? He says, leave everything and follow me. Follow me. And what Jesus is calling this rich young ruler to do, he says, I want you to go and I want you to leverage your wealth 
for the kingdom. I want you to use the things that God has used that's given you, leverage it for the kingdom, and not live for wealth on your own kingdom. I want you to live with with what God has given you. He's telling this rich young ruler, I want you to use it for my kingdom, not for your kingdom. And he recognized in that moment that there was something lacking in him, and we'll find out in this next verse when he says this. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. And the reason he was sad is he was extremely rich. There was a sorrowful result of this conversation. This young man was extremely wealthy, and he was not willing to give up his wealth to follow Jesus. To which I would ask myself, what idol in my life or in your life hinders you from becoming a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? And I just sat here in the coffee shop just thinking about the things that God might be telling me. God, if you asked me to move away from my family, would I be willing to do that? God, if you asked me to sell everything that I had and give it to the poor, would I be willing to do that? God, if you asked me to go to a foreign country to be a missionary, would I be willing to do that? What idol sits on the throne of my heart that would keep me from being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? What has first place? And I think all of us need to ask that question because I think there's always something that is pulling at our heartstrings. And for many, it is wealth. For many, it is success. For many, it is family. For many, it is, you can fill in the blank. But there are idols in our life that keep us from following Jesus wholeheartedly. We're holding on to those things. And they're holding us back. We want to be a pursuit of a life with Jesus Christ. We want to be a, have eternal life with him. But there is something that's holding us back. And so Jesus, looking at this and seeing that he had become sad, I kind of think he might have turned to the crowd. Seeing this guy walk away, everybody hears this conversation. And he says, how difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? And what Jesus was doing, he was speaking specifically to the lure of wealth. But we can fill in the blank with anything else. We can say how difficult it is for those who have great success in their career. How difficult it is to those who have great family ties. How difficult it is for those who have an addiction. How difficult it is for those who have, and you can just fill in the blank with whatever it is that's holding you back how difficult it is for those who have that to enter the kingdom of heaven. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, this little idea right here of a camel going through the eye of a needle, there's been so many theological discussions around this. I get so tired of some of these sidebar theological discussions that really have no meaning whatsoever. And so people start saying, well, there's probably a gate over in Jerusalem somewhere that was a little shorter and that people would have to squat down to go through it. There's no way they'd ever get a camel to kneel down and go under it. I've never read that there's a gate called the eye of a needle. Some believe it's a mistranslation and they would say that camel should have actually been translated rope because they're very similar in the Greek. And they say that it was actually a rope. It's very difficult. It's easier for a for a rope to go through the eye of a needle. But I would say this, if you get sidebar by those things, you're missing the point of Jesus' story. What he is saying is, 
It is difficult for those who are more obligated to the things of this world to go to heaven than it is for a camel to be threaded through the eye of a needle. It's more difficult. So he's saying there are some things that are just difficult in and of our human selves to do that we are, that's impossible for us. You can never get a camel to go through the eye of a needle, right? I can't get a stream to go through there without cussing in my head, of course, or poking Tracy with, get this thing in there. Why would I ever have a needle and a thread? It doesn't happen. You know, if I ever have a button loose, I'm like, Tracy, can you do this for me? So here's the thing. The things we idolize hinder us from being wholly devoted to following Jesus. Whatever it is that you idolize, whatever is in first place in your life is what you idolize. And you know who's there for most of us? Ourselves, because we idolize ourselves. We want people worshiping at the throne of me. And we put ourselves there. And this rich young ruler was guilty of that. He wanted his success. He wanted his wealth. And he wanted to, to keep his obligations there and saying, and Jesus was pointing out, your heart is more obligated to your stuff than it is to inheriting eternal life. And so as this conversation's going on, I'm sure everybody in the crowd was confused because they, just like us, believe that wealth is the equivalent of God's blessings. And you hear this, you hear this preached, that, that if you wanna be blessed by God or the indicator that God is gonna bless you is that you're extremely wealthy, that you've got all of this stuff, that God's blessing you with a, a wonderful family, nothing ever goes wrong, you've got all this wonderful whatever, and, and, and we, we equate that. I'll just tell you this, I've been into some of the poorest parts of the world, I mean, I've been to Tanzania, Africa many, many times, some very, very poor places, and they didn't have any wealth, but they were some of the most blessed people I've ever been around. I've been in some poor places in, in, in Central America, Guatemala. I've been there to the poorest place just outside of Guatemala City, a little town called Buena Vista. We've got a missionary that we support there. Very poor area. He had a, a house in the Poconos, this missionary did. And God said, sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you know what he did? He sold everything that he had with his house in the Poconos, and he moved his whole family to Guatemala and he built a school and ministers and disciples people in the poorest area just outside of Guatemala City. He got this. His name is Mark Schmidt. He's one of our missionaries. He understands this. He understands that there is no wealth that you can have in this world that is more valuable than being a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And he sold it all. So wealth does not actually equal God's blessings. Wealth is not always an indicator of God's blessings. It actually might be a curse for some people, that it might be what's holding you back from doing what God is calling you to do or from being a follower of Jesus. And these people were confused by this because they had always equated blessings with wealth, and that was not the case. So they asked this question, who in the world if this guy can't be saved, with all that he's done and all that he's got, if he can't be saved, then who can be? I mean, gosh, we just give up. I mean, this guy's got everything. And look at all that he's done. You named off all those 10 commandments and he had nailed them. 
So what in the, who in the world can be saved? And Jesus said, what's impossible with God or with man is possible with God. You can't thread a camel through the eye of a needle, but guess who can? God can. He could roll that thing up and shove him right through there. If he wanted to move a mountain, guess what he could do? He could move a mountain. If he wanted to change your heart, guess what he could do? He could change your heart. And so he says, with what is impossible with man, it's possible with God. Even though this rich young ruler walked away sad, it was still possible with God that he would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And then Peter, the bold disciple, he steps up and he says, see, we, we've done what you're talking about, Lord. We have left our homes. We know Peter actually left his wife behind. If you watch The Chosen, you know he goes back every once in a while, right? And so, see, we have left our homes and we have followed you. We have been those devoted disciples. And it was almost like that martyr mentality that look what all we've done. And Jesus went on and he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one. Peter, I realize you've left your house, you've left your home, you've left your wife, all of those things, you've left those behind to come and be a follower. There is no one who has left his wife, his brothers, his parents, his children for the sake of the kingdom of God. There is no one who's left his wealth. There's no one who's left his career. There's no one who's left his family. There's no one who's left any of these things for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Listen, what he was saying is, when you become a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, no matter what sacrifice you make, Jesus came that you might have life and have life to its fullest, life more abundantly. It's not just eternal life, it's life here and now. Our missionary, in Guatemala that we support, do you think he has a full life? I guarantee you, I know he does. His life is full. It's living in abundance because he's living in obedience to God. He doesn't have a house in the Poconos any longer. He's got a house in Guatemala, but he's serving the kingdom of God and he's leveraged what God had given him for the kingdom of God. And there's a tremendous award, a reward that awaits those who choose to follow Jesus. And that's what Jesus wanted these followers and he wants us to understand. When you have, whatever you have to give up, it's worth it all. It's worth it all. God will bless you many times over. He will bless you in ways that may not be monetarily. It may be in purpose. It may be an influence. It may be that you see people come to Christ that you never thought you could ever have influence over, but ultimately, you're going to be in right standing with God. Later on, Paul comes along and he's writing to the church of Ephesus and he wants us to, to understand, this is a big question. How do I inherit eternal life? And Paul laid it out there very clearly for us. He says, for by grace, you have been saved. He's talking to a group of believers. So the book of Ephesians is written to people who are already in the faith. And he says, for by grace, you have been saved. And you've been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Your salvation is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. God has given you salvation, not as a result of your works. I don't care how many times you've been baptized. I don't care how many times you've taken the sacraments. I don't care how many times you've showed up to church. I don't care how much tithe you've given. I don't care, and you can just lift off all your good works I don't care that you're not an adulterer. I don't care that you're not an, I mean, I care, but that's not what it gets you there. 
So it's not a result of any of your good works so that no one may boast. There will be no one in heaven who looks around at the crowd and says, let me tell you how I got here. I didn't do this and I didn't do this and I didn't do that, but let me tell you what I did and I did this and I, no. Everyone in heaven, from the adulterer to the good little Sunday school boy, will look at Jesus Christ and say, the only reason I'm here is by grace through faith in you alone. Because I didn't trust in my wealth. I didn't trust in my good deeds. I didn't trust in living up to the 10 commandments. I trusted you as my savior and my Lord. And by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, I am here today. And if you ever want to be in the kingdom, and if you want to be and have eternal life, you know what you must do? Put your faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone, because salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as we learn and as revealed in Scripture alone. It's not in some other denomination or world religion's idea. We look to the one who lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and rose again on the third day. Hundreds of people witnessed it, and he now lives in heaven today. And he wants you to be a follower of his. And you've never trusted him as your Lord and Savior. What a day it would be if today would be that day. So what is holding you back? from becoming a devoted follower of my Savior, Jesus Christ? What's holding you back from following your Savior, Jesus Christ? And would you say today, I surrender it all. God, if you want me to sell everything that I have and give it to the poor, I'll do it. But you know what he's asking you to do? He's just asking you to devote your heart to him. That's all he wants. He knows that when your heart's devoted, everything else follows. Where my heart is, my money goes. Where my heart is, my calendar goes. Where my heart is, my emotions go, my energy goes. Where my heart is, everything else follows. So that's what Jesus wants from you. That's all he wanted from the rich young ruler. He wanted his heart. And that's what he wants from you, is your heart. So will you stand with me? If you're here today and you're ready, to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Today would be a great day to do that. He's calling you, he's drawing you to himself. Listen, some of us will be down here at the altar. Come meet us here. We'll pray with you. You can meet us back in the guest VIP room. You can pray where you are. We understand that, 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 that God will meet you where you are. He just wants your heart devoted to him. But we'd love to talk to you and have a conversation with you. So join us here. Father, we love you, and we're so thankful for you. And Lord, I'm thank thankful for the story of this rich, young ruler. God, we don't know if he ever changed his heart. But I know that in the midst right there, there were many people who did. Once they saw the risen Savior, they understood. He understands and knows and has the keys to eternal life. So today, my prayer is if there's anyone in here in this room that's not put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone for their salvation, that they would do that today. So draw them 
like only you can. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen.